Welcome listeners to this week's behind the scenes episode of Latinx Lit Audio Mag. I'm your host, Teresa Douglas, and today we're interviewing Catherine Quevedo, who was born and raised just outside of Portland, Oregon, where she works as an analyst and lives with her husband and two sons. Her poetry and short stories have appeared in Fireside Magazine, Coffin Bell, Triangulation Habitats, Factor 4 Magazine, Heroic Fantasy Quarterly, Best Indie Speculative Fiction, Volumes 3 and 4, and elsewhere. When she isn't writing, she enjoys watching movies, singing, playing old-school video games, belly dancing, and making spreadsheets. Find her at CatherineClavedo.com. Well, welcome, Catherine. Thank you so much for having me. It's so nice to have you here. And, and I have to say, before we, we jump into the nitty-gritty of uh, talking about your sonnet, I, I have to ask you a very important question. Because okay. this podcast is like you were sitting at my kitchen table. And of course, if you were at my house, I would want to offer you something that you would like to eat. And so I would love to know, what is your favorite comfort food? Oh, I am picturing it now and salivating. That would be <laughs> chocolate chip cookies, uh, especially my mom's. I have a very, very strong sweet tooth. So... Well, I, I, I would hope that we could eat those and still remain friends because I, too, love <laughs> chocolate chip cookies, and I might have to arm wrestle you for them. Oh, oh no, we got to so. have enough for everyone. Yeah, <laughs> there maybe you one, go. one big cookie, and we can split it. I love that idea. All right, well, then, then, <laughs> then I would definitely do that because we wouldn't, uh, we wouldn't have bloodshed uh, from, from having the cookies. So <laughs> that's lovely. And, and another thing that's lovely, of course, is this beautiful sonnet that you sent in and thank you I would just I want to say one thing that's my favorite thing and then I'm going to not talk so much um, and ask you some questions about you okay well I I, when this came in and I was intrigued by the title and I knew it had to be sort of speculativity if that's a word um, because of South American sphinx and if I'm wrong and they're actually historical sphinxes I would or sphinx eye I would love to (laughs) to be corrected about that but the thing I loved about this was just the tight imagery just this idea of talismanic liquid copper eyes. I just saw that image just kind of bloom in my brain when I read that with the jaguar body and just this thirst. Oh, it was just so, so lovely to see that put all together. And so thank you for, for sending this in so that I can read it. Oh, thank you. No, oh, I, I had so much fun writing it. And yeah, just the putting the creature together and trying to find the right words and putting it in the right beats. It just, it was a really fun project for me. Well, and I, this, this piece seems to be pretty popular. I, I know when we were talking a little bit on email, you were nominated for an award. What, what award was that? Yeah, I, it, I received notice that it was nominated for the Risling Award for Best Short Poem. So that's offered through the Science Fiction and Fantasy Poetry Association that was just a huge, pleasant surprise. And I'm really honored. I've never been nominated for that before. And there's really talented poets in that group. So I'm, I'm just really honored. Well, congratulations for that. And so listeners, if, if you haven't yet listened to this sonnet, I, first of all, I don't know why you're here. 
but you you should. This is now also an award-nominated sonnet, and I think you will see once you listen why why this was nominated for that award. Well, uh, one thing I always ask people is whether or not the the format that they send to me, so if it's a poem or a piece of fiction, is their first love. I, I know you write a couple of things, at least from your bio. So would you say that, that poetry is your first love? Do you do you love poetry and fiction or nonfiction equally? What's, what's your deal? Oh, I hope you're not trying to make me choose favorites here. <laughs> <laughs> we love um, all our children. Exactly. Um, I, I really do love poetry both. I, I can't pick. But, you know, if you want to get really technical, I started <laughs> with short stories um, from childhood. I mean, from the first time I could hold a pencil, I was putting little books together. And then in grade school, that's where I started learning about poetry and just really enjoyed the wordplay, the rhyming. Um, so I've been writing both in tandem for most of my life. I, mm-hmm. I do focus on uh, fantasy, horror, and science fiction for my short stories. And then for my poems, it was really, I started off writing more non-speculative, and I've more recently gotten into speculative. I wanted to share one quick story, speaking of Sphinx poems, because <laughs> so this, the one I, I've read here is my second Sphinx poem, the first ah. one I ever wrote, because I really love Sphinxes. Um, I wrote back in high school, And that's how much I love Sphinxes. And it actually won a contest where I got to go attend the Willamette Writers Annual Conference here in Portland. And that opened my eyes to the world of writing, where suddenly I learned that there was this whole industry behind it, this community of writers, and I was completely hooked. So it was a poem that was my gateway into making writing a really serious life goal for me. So Sphinx poems are your gateway drug, is, is what you're telling me. <laughs> I, I also think you. this means you should write another Sphinx poem, because so far uh, in the whole awards department, you're, you're two for two. Right? <laughs> Ooh, maybe there's a chapbook in here somewhere. There you go. I mean, why, who doesn't love Sphinx? I mean, they're just so, there's the mystique of them and these yes. silent things that were, were created, built long, long ago. It's just, it. Everything about it is is fascinating. Uh, yeah. So it sounds like you were writing poetry first and then came to fiction. What do you think that does for your writing? It, just out of curiosity, the fact that you you do poetry and you do fiction, do you feel like they inform each other or give you some some added benefit because you do both? I do think that they sort of talk to each other, if you will. Mm. And and the order is an interesting one because I I started off kind of fiddling around with both through school, um, grade school, high school, middle school, high school. And then in, when I was in the university, I decided to, I was getting an English degree and wanted to get a creative writing emphasis. And I was considering, should I do the fiction track or the poetry track? I did end up on the poetry track at that time um, due to a variety of reasons. And once I graduated, I thought, you know, I really want to up my game in fiction and felt like I needed to really focus there. So I spent years just studying short stories, Mm. especially fantasy, science fiction, horror. I basically put poetry on hold for years. And then once I finally was having some success with the speculative fiction, it was um, one of my two sisters actually 
uh, reached out to me and just reminded me how much I had also enjoyed writing poems and how much she had loved reading them. And so that rekindled that interest again. And now I'm I'm trying to find a balance between the two because <laughs> I really do love both. Um, so, and then on top of that, a lot of my poetry had been non-speculative. So now I'm trying to bring the speculative into it because I just love those genres. Yeah. But I think really looking at um, the ling- the level of language that I use in my stories and trying to think and sometimes pause and say, if I were writing this as my poet self, what language would I be using for these key parts that I really want to highlight? And then in my poems, similarly, sometimes thinking, can I put a bit of a narrative arc into some of this? Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's fascinating. And why maybe they do, but I've never, I've not seen in all the not very many places that I've looked at this <laughs> when I was looking at MFA programs. But it doesn't seem like there are a lot of places where you can say, "Can I do a bit of both?" Just you know, attend a few classes here and there. But uh, if those decision makers on university courses and degrees are listening, it would be nice if we could have a uh, a degree that's sort of a dual one without spending a hundred years getting it. So there you go. Thank you very much. That would be nice. It would be nice. I would definitely have taken that. I When I did my MFA, it was for fiction, but I was around so many poets. I was joking that I was, I was being led into bad habits, looking at more poetry. And it just, it's a fascinating <laughs> thing. It's just a fascinating thing to, to the way you have to describe things so efficiently for the maximum punch. And there's a lot of other things. Obviously, I have not studied poetry to the degree that you have. So I'm, I'm like, my words are very small for talking about this vocabulary. But oh, it's, that's a, wonderful. it's just a lovely thing. And actually, and I'm talking too much now. Why don't we back up and talk about you <laughs> and your piece? Can you, can you walk us through the process? You talked a little bit that it took you a while, but can you just walk us through the process of how you came up with the idea? Did that come first? Did, did it just organically bloom in your mind? How, how did that happen? Sure. The first step that led to the creation of this poem was I saw a call for submissions from Honey Guide Literary Magazine, and they were putting together a, an issue themed around mythical creatures. Mm. And I thought, well, that's a cool theme. And on top of that, I saw that they support animal shelters. And to me, that was just a win-win. So I put a couple poems together that appeared in that issue. Um, but when I was trying to come up with what to send for, to them, I had recently written a story that's called Song of the Balsa Wood Bird, and that actually came out earlier this year in Fireside Magazine. And that was where I had combined some of my favorite Ecuadorian animals, because I'm half Ecuadorian. And so I had taken these different animals and combined them into a mythical creature for that story. And that was so much fun that I thought, I want to do that again. So this time I thought, well, what would a sphinx from South America be like? And that's where I took the lion and the eagle parts and replaced them with a jaguar and a condor and just started going from there. And I do like writing sonnets. And so when I was trying to think of what kind of title I might put to this, what popped into my head was Sonnet of the South American Sphinx. I thought, oh, there's some alliteration there. And so it started taking shape. And 
when it came time to write that volta, you know, that final turn that comes in the last stanza, I was thinking, well, okay, I've introduced this creature of riddles. So what kind of riddle can I propose in the poem? And I was thinking about, I'm really fascinated by the ancient Inca culture. And I was thinking, they didn't really have this established system of writing. They used this elaborate, complex system of tying knots into string mm-hmm. called kipu. And I thought, well, here's here's my riddle. It's right there. People still don't know how to decipher it fully. That's amazing. And and you're right. We we have that that lasting mystery of of language in knots. And what yes. is a riddle? But but a, a knot of its own kind, if if a mental one, and yes. That that is that's a wonderful thing to sort of put together and 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 get in that turn because it I hadn't even thought of the Inca's string language until this poem for I don't know like years. I mean we we learn about it in school, but yeah, it's it's a fascinating thing thinking of someone who came up with a language that that you could do in knots. I just. I love your poem. (laughs) Thank you. There's a little fangirl sigh every time I look at it. I'm like, ah, yes, pick me for the dance. I want to go. We we often when we send out our our work into the world, it stands alone as it should. It should be able to stand on its own two feet. But we're never often able to tell people what impressions we would like them to leave with when they they read it or they listen to it. Is there a specific impression you would like the reader to come away with after reading this piece? That is a great question. I think that, so anytime that you're dealing with a sphinx, it's all about the wonderment and mystery and perplexity. So I, in that sense, hopefully this isn't a total cop-out answer, but I think different readers <laughs> will come away with different things. And that's a good thing. Like that in of itself plays into the poem. But if I have to try to peg something, maybe a sense of connection to uh, to multiple things, to the natural environment, because there's aspects of that in the poem, to this ancient part of civilization and Ultimately, for any poem, and this one included, for me, it's really about connection to each other. And in this case, we're all experiencing a world where there's always something that is unknown to us in some way. And that just builds into that whole mystery aspect. And then, frankly, I do really like casting a spotlight on a part of the world that I have a direct and, you know, a a connection to that's very near and dear to my heart. And it is a part of the world I would love to see represented more in speculative fiction and poetry. Yes, because we've we've definitely done the um, Western European sword and sorcery um, a lot to death. We don't need more J.R.R. Tolkien. Although, really, it's fun to read that, but it, it would be nice to go to a different part of the world and look at stories and read things from there. So I I heartily agree. Exactly. Variety. Yes, variety. And and what better what better image of that than than the Sphinx? Right, exactly. Yeah, it's a mix of things. It's an amalgamation and the result is really pretty stunning, more so than just you know, it's greater than the sum of its parts. Exactly. Well, well, this has been this has been lovely, 
And you you obviously write many things and, and are in other places. I'm sure there are many people who are going to want to follow what you do. And I know we said this at the beginning, but would you mind giving listeners again your website or any social media handles where you post about your writing so that they can follow you? Sure. So... Not to disappoint anyone, I don't really do a lot of social media. Pretty much just my website. Um, it's at mm-hmm. katherinequivedo.com. If people like, they can subscribe there, get updates to my blog, and that happens very sporadically. But that really is the best <laughs> way <laughs> to see what I'm up to. So in other words, instead of being on social media, you write you know, a lot of things. It's true. I <laughs> I work a full time job besides the you know on besides the writing. I have a day job. Um, I have two school age kids, and I want to I want to create new content for folks. So there you go. You got to make I got to make some trade offs, right? Yes. I mean, we we only have a certain amount of minutes every day. So thank you for using them for writing. <laughs> it's, been lovely having you on the show. Thank you so much for coming. This has been wonderful. Thank you so much. 